Hey, legends, you know, none of our interviews or episodes ever date, ever. They are all timeless and ready for you for when you're ready to listen. Download the lot and rip in. This episode is brought to you by our wonderful sponsors, Galaxy Finance. Sponsors and personal friends that I trust, that I trust enough to go to with questions about my own finances. That's not a sales pitch, that's fact. Any questions, any queries, they have the solutions from home loan lending to complete financial planning. With official interest rates at an all-time low, the lenders want your business. With Galaxy Finance, they'll do all the work for you and find the best possible deal. They'll do it all. Get in contact, ask for Leanne, and mention Unfiltered for a free chat. A free chat. No obligations, a free chat just by mentioning Unfiltered. Galaxyfinance.com.au is where you can find them. Welcome back to Andy Raymond Unfiltered, the Legend Series. The Robbie Farris story continues. My funniest story, uh, I hope I can tell it. Um, So I got picked for in City Origin, I think myself and Keith Galloway, a couple other Tigers players, um, playing City Origin, we're in Dubbo. John Cartwright was a coach that year and and Gibbo missed out. Missed out on the initial side, and then one of the front rowers pulled out, and then they he didn't even get called up. He, I think someone else got picked in front of him again. So on the Wednesday night, he's out on the piss with a few of the Tigers boys because um, they had the ball on the weekend. They're at Benji's house. So I'm in city camp. We're just about to go out for dinner. And um, he says, he calls me. He says, he's, he's already, as I said, he's, he's a few few drinks in, so he's, he's pretty cut. And um, he says, mate, put Cardi on the phone. I said, what for? He goes, mate, put Cardi on the phone. He goes, I want to know why he didn't pick me. I said, give up. I said, I'm not putting Cardi on the phone, mate. I said, piss off. Leave me alone. So I hang up on him. Sends me a text message. He goes, I'm about to send you a video. He goes, I want you to show it to Cardi. I was like, oh, here we go. What's what's this? So anyway, about 10 minutes later, this video comes through on my phone. We're sitting at the dinner, dinner table, open it up, and he's there, Starkers in Benji's kitchen. He's got Liam Fulton standing next to him, and he goes, <laughs> He goes, Cardi, he goes, I want to know why I didn't get picked for City Origin. He goes, not only am I tough on the field, I'm tough off it. So then gets picks up a hammer and then gets gets Liam Fulton. He goes, give me that nail over there. Liam Fulton picks up the nail, gives it to Gibbo. Gibbo dead set. Gibbo gets gets a nail, puts puts his uh, private parts up on a chopping board, Oh no! In the kitchen, and puts the nail, hammers the nail through his nutsack oh. into, into the chopping board, and he says, "That's how tough I am, Cardi." He goes, "That's why you should have picked me." Dead set, craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. Couldn't believe it. And he dead set, put the nail through his nutsack. Did you show Cardi? He was no chance. I showed all. I, we showed all the boys in camp. We had a laugh. Yeah, had a laugh. Yeah. What do you remember about the training session where your two props started throwing hands, Gibbs and Galloway? <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a little video uh, video of that still yeah. floating somewhere. I don't know if you've seen it, but um, 
I don't remember, they were at each other all, we were just in warm-up, I think, and they just kept going at each other and at each other and Gibbo was having one of them shit days and and you can you can get under his skin when he's having a shit day and, and Keithy was just going at him and then and then they, they just started throwing them. If you see the video, they're just mate, throwing haymakers. Everyone's running from everywhere to pull them apart and Gibbo's just, he's just gone, fuck this, I'm going home. Mate, he's going, we're going, Gibbo, you can't go home. He's like, no, nah, fuck, he's gone inside the sheds put his training bag over his shoulder, jumped in his car in the car park, he's done a massive burnout in the car park, and he's just fucking gone home. Yes. Gone home. Speaking of throwing hands, you didn't mind it when the time arrived on the field. What's the most memorable stink on the field? Yeah, I think obviously everyone will mention the um, the Anthony Watts fight. Um, it's, it's funny now. Uh, that happened in 2009, I think, 12 years ago. And, mate, if I get stopped on the street 10 times, I think – Six or seven times, it'll people it'll be about that fight. People wow. just, yeah, people just love it for some reason. Um, they love that moment. Whether I think it's because everyone's no one sort of expected it from me. Mm. Um, yeah, I was I'd never had that sort of reputation, or you know, I was always that you know sort of attacking sort of player. But um, there were always question marks over my toughness or my defense and things like that. And um, yeah, I just remember he he sort he sort of king hit me in a scrum. That Leichhardt didn't know who it was until I saw the replay up on the screen and um, he didn't get sent to the bin. I said to Shane Hayne that day, I said, mate, if you don't do something about it, I will. And we got another scrum um, the next set. We dropped the ball and um, and he was just he was standing at the scrum laughing at me. And I said, I said, I'm gonna, I told him straight, I said, I'm gonna bash you. And he said, Oh, he goes, What are you gonna do, your your wog C? And I said, Oh, all right. And then Shane Hayne could hear us chirping. And, and Shane Haynes said, mate, he goes, boys, just keep it short and sweet in terms of the scrum. And I said, mate, don't worry, I will. So I, I packed in and Gibbo, Gibbo was standing there with me. I think him and John Scandalis were our front rowers mm-hmm. and Gibbo could hear us going at him and Gibbo said, mate, do you want me to build him? I said, no, no. I said, he's mine. I said, you just you just look after their front rowers, make sure they don't get involved and pack the scrum, mate. And I remember I just threw a, a fury of uppercuts. I was, I was filthy, you know, I was, I was filthy. That, and I think... I think it had to be done. Yeah. Um, I think I had to stand up for myself. And Agreed. We were down. We were losing that day. Um, after that happened, we came back and ended up winning by 30 points. And, and Royce Simmons gave me our man of the match after the game just for that moment. He said, mate, he said, if you didn't hit him, if you didn't hit him in that scrum, he said, you wouldn't have been worth your grain of salt. So um, and it's funny. Everyone still talks about it. When your reputation's enhanced in 15 seconds of a legal play, but the Cracking part of the story that everyone neglects, you also had Carl Webb to look out for in their front row. So, you, you know, you needed Scandalis and Gibbs to do their job. Yeah, I think Carl Webb, because I've watched it back, and I thought he was in the front row, but I'm, I think he was in the second row, Carl Webb. He packed in the second row. So I think they had they had um, Steve Southern and, um, oh, geez, I can't remember who the other front row, the other front row was. Okay. but. Um, but Steve Southern's a red nut too, and they can throw them as well. So, so yeah, I was a bit, I was a bit worried about them. I just said, mate, you boys look after them, and I got him. So, yeah, it was good. You played in an era with arguably the best ever, certainly the most capped ever. Same position too. I'm speaking of Cameron Smith. What are your thoughts on him and on him as a footballer? Mate, unbelievable player. Um, obviously, brought out the best in me as well because yep. you're always you're striving to to emulate what he's doing. Um, we had some great battles in state of origin. Um, unfortunately for me, um, at times I was like, indiv- indiv- like individually, I, I, 
felt like um, I could compete with him or whatever, but, you know, the results show that they, they had an unbelievable team through that era and, and I was on the wrong side of, of a lot of that. Um, and then and then with Australia too, you know, going to camp and um, he was always obviously the, the number one hooker and, and captain and I sort of had to bide my time and wait for an opportunity. But you pick up things from the way he trains and um, the way he plays. Um, and as I said, you, you sort of, you sort of need those those rivalries because it makes you strive to get get better yourself. Um, and I remember I came under criticism. I think it was in 2014 after we'd won finally won Origin, and I got asked a question um, by the media, and and they said, "Oh, you know, do you think Cameron Smith's better than you?" And and my answer was, well, "No, I don't." I said, "I don't think anybody's better than me because if if I thought that, I've, I'll go out on the field. I've already lost the battle." Yeah. Um, I said, and that's just my personal mindset. When I go out on the footy field, I don't think anybody's better than me. Um, and can't. it wasn't a, no, you can't. And it wasn't a um, arrogant answer or, mm. or, or a cocky answer. It was just that's the mindset you need to be the best. Um, Absolutely, yeah, the best in the game. And and I remember the next day, the headline in the in the paper was, "Oh, Farah thinks he's better than Smith." And yeah, it blew up, and people, yeah. Yeah, people were laughing about it and mm. and whatever, but but that's that's the way I thought. And if people wanted to laugh about it, well, then that's their problem. But my mindset was always was, yeah, he's not better than me because, um, yeah, he's got the jersey that I wanted, the Australian jersey, and and when you got in a state of origin, yeah, he's my opposite number. I got to get it over him. And if I thought he was better than me, I'd already lost the battle. So. And, and to this day, I, I still don't. You know, I still don't think that. In my, that's that's just in my mind was. You know, I wanted to be the best, and I had to think that of myself. Unbelievable player, obviously, and uh, yeah, credit to him. You will probably never see another player play the amount of games uh, he played and achieve what he did. Was Smith your biggest and fiercest rival, or someone else? Yeah, obviously. Um, I know you're talking about Mick Ennis there. You're alluding to that. Um, and again, um, we probably brought out the best in each other, and. We were striving for that New South Wales jumper after Bedsy retired. Um, you know, Danny Bedeiris, you know, had a mortgage on that yeah. that New South Wales number nine for a long time, and and then you know me and Mick came through the grades, and um, Mick was that sort of person where nobody liked on the field. That was just the way he played, you know. Um, Most still but, don't. But, yeah, but funnily enough, to me, he was always nice on the nice on the field. So was he? Yeah, he never really tried to get under my skin too much. Maybe because he knew I was better than him, but um. <laughs> Uh, but um, but no, we always had a, a good rivalry. Um, he was a competitor, you know. You, you respect him uh, for the competitor he is. Mate, off the field, he's actually a really good bloke. Um, he came in Origin camp in when I missed the decider in 2015 with a broken hand. Mm. Uh, he came in as the nine, and, and I, I was still part of the the camp and was helping out and you know got along with him really well and worked with him really well and. Uh, even to this day, um, you know, I see him, and um, we're, you know, I'd like to say we're we're good friends off the field. Uh, on the field is a different story because we were just going for the same jumper, mate. And you got to do what it takes. Similar to, as I said, the, the Cameron Smith story, you, you do whatever it takes to to win that number nine jersey. And um, you know, I got the nod in two thousand nine. I played two games, and unfortunately, I got dropped after that. I, I didn't make the most of my opportunity, and and Mick came in for. Um, for game three and nine, and he held on to the jumper in 2010 and 2011. Hello, legends. I hope you're enjoying this edition of Andy Raymond Unfiltered. 
Would you like to be part of our team? Our sponsorship packages are ready to go. From scripted ads to website placement and social media promotions, personal appearances, voice recordings and more, the opportunities are limited only by your imagination. You set the terms. Unfiltered is reaching hundreds of thousands of potential clients every single week and we cater to businesses both big and small. We'll work with you to guarantee you get exactly what you want, how you want and when you want. If you're interested, go to our website and hit the sponsorship tab at andyraymondunfiltered.com.au. Now back to the interview. I remember watching 2010, 2011, and it just burnt the shit out of me. Just burnt, you know, because in my mind, that was my jersey. I was like, he's wearing my jersey. And for those two years, I busted my ass to get it back. Um, and I got it back in 2012. Got it back in, you know, from 2012 um, until until I played my last Origin game. Um, so I've got to thank Mick for... for um, Making me sit back and having to watch him wear that jersey for two years because it built up that it built up that hatred and that um, that competitiveness and that driving me to to get what I thought was my jersey back. Playing for New South Wales, captaining New South Wales, is that dream come true? Stuff. What stands out? Oh, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely crazy, mate. Um, as I said, like to play one NRL game was a dream, and then to I, I remember. In 2009, um, because because in 2009 at the start of the year, as I said, there was those you know is he is he tough enough and, and all those things because I was always known as an attacking hooker. Um, I remember on the Sunday night I was I was at my my parents' house um, in Kansi and and I got the call from Craig Bellamy um, that I'd been picked and I just remember just bursting into tears, C- couldn't believe it, just literally couldn't believe it. Um, yeah. To play for New South Wales, I remember sitting by the radio on a, you know, when the team announcements were coming out, um, listening to the New South Wales teams getting picked as a kid, you know, staying up on a Wednesday night to watch the games with my, my brothers and um, and that was then all of a sudden that was me, um, you know, pulling on that jersey and unbelievable. Um, and then to get to get back in the side under Sticky and then Sticky made me vice-captain under Gow and then got the opportunity to captain two games when when Gao was out injured. Um, I, mate, I still can't believe it. I, I literally, like, I'm not even saying that. I, I got goosebumps talking about it. I actually still can't believe it because when you ask me who's Robbie Farramatt, I was just a kid. I was just a kid from mm-hmm. Kempsey. I never had a footballing background. I never went to, you know, sporting schools, um, none of that stuff. And to just – I just couldn't imagine – um, achieving what I achieved to, and and captain New South Wales, mate, is is mate is yeah, I'm speechless. Uh, I, I I got no words for it. Woods about five meters out from the line. Farrah, dummies, double pumps. Hopkinson, Hopkinson is over. Hopkinson comes around. He puts the ball down. The Canterbury halfback, Trent Hopkinson. He scores. Will take the conversion to put the Blues in front by two. That's the 2014 series. You played all three games to win the series following Queensland's dominance. How special? Because 
If we're being brutally honest, the previous few years were living hell for the Blues. Yeah, mate, they were living hell for for all of us living it, uh, like in it. Um, we got so close. You know, everyone looks at their dominance over those eight years, and I think there was maybe one series whitewash. Um, yeah, other than that, there were every decider went down to a point or two points. You know, we lost the decider in 2012 by Cooper Cronk field goal. Yep. Um, the decider in 13 by two points. We'd got so close so many times, so much heartbreak, um, so much personal heartbreak as well. Um, you know, it was an emotional time for me with everything I went through with with my mum in 2012. Um, and then to finally win it in 2014, you know, we, we spoke earlier about the 05 grand final, how the, that's the best night of my life. Well, the second best night of my life was, was that night um, we won the Origin Series because when you work hard for – for so long at something and there's so many so many setbacks to finally achieve that um there was such an outpouring of emotion and I, I don't think it was only the players it was the fans it was it was everyone the whole state the whole state wanted us to win that you know a series and when we finally achieved that in 14 and Hainsey's you know ran the ball in the crowd and stood up there and it's just an iconic sort of moment mm. uh you know in sport and um, to finally break that drought, you know, we'll always be remembered as a team that broke the drought, and and that Queensland team, you know, they'll they'll have five future immortals, you know, four or five future immortals in that side, and um, an unbelievable team, um, and and we'll always be known as the team that broke the drought. Speaking of living hell, leaving the Tigers, Jason Taylor as coach in 2016, you'd play Origin, then you'd get demoted to the interchange bench immediately afterwards, as in one week. You'd stay there for the remainder of the season. It seemed a personal issue. Yeah, that's the way I saw it, mate. Probably, um, you know, I still don't have answers as to why or, or how it happened. Um, you know, from day one, it was just um, never got off on the the right foot mm. from from his end. Um, I still remember I got picked to play for for Australia in the Four Nations. Um, so he came in at, in 2015, I think. So I got picked for the Four Nations at the end of 14, um, just as he'd come in, and he asked me not to play. Um, he said he wanted me there from the start of preseason, and I considered it. Yeah, and then um, so I spoke to a few um, few people in the game that I've got high, high respect for, and um, I spoke to Gus. Um, I spoke to my manager and my family, and and Gus said, "Mate, tell him he's crazy." He said, "Mate, the only reason you play the game is to play for Australia," and I was I was. Um, 30, 30 or 31 at the time, I thought this is going to be my last opportunity to yeah. play for Australia. I might not ever get picked again. So I went back to him and I said, mate, um, I said, I've had a think about it. I said, I've decided I'm going to play. And he said, mate, you're selfish. He said, you're being selfish. And I was like, what? I said, how can you Fuck. even call me selfish? Yeah, yeah, I said, how can you even fucking call me selfish? And um, I said, mate, I said, I said, put yourself in my shoes, like as a player. I said, would you knock back the opportunity to play for Australia and whatever? And then just from that, mate, it just went downhill. You know, he'd we'd win a game by twenty points. He'd pick apart my game like I'd like played terrible, and um, yeah, he was just always criticising me. I'd never do anything right, um, and it just it just deteriorated to a point where he just stopped talking to me and um, dropped me dropped me after Origin, uh, and then yeah, and then I um, taught he and then he. Dropped me to reserve grade, I think, for the, yeah. the rest of the year, and then and then uh, I was told me I was free to look elsewhere. Told me if I'd stayed, I'd, I'd be training and playing with reserve grade the year after. So pushing you out, 
pretty pushing, yeah, pretty much pushing me out. And I said, mate, I said, I've done nothing wrong. I said, well, and I was on a big contract. Mm. Uh, I had years to run on my contract. I said, mate, I'm not going anywhere. So unless I've been sacked, I said, unless you've got grounds to sack me, I said, I'll show up to training on the 1st of November, um, which I did. I showed up at training. Justin Pascoe just come in as CEO because uh, at the time that was happening, we had no CEO and Pascoe came in and he tried to, to mend the relationship. Um, obviously, I said, because I, and at the time I'd agreed terms with the Roosters. Uh, I'd finally, because, because when I got told to leave, I said, I'm not going unless I had a club that I wanted to go to. Um, I had Newcastle and, and Dragons um, chasing me, but they were both going through a bit of a rebuilding phase. And I said, oh, I'm not leaving Tigers to go to a club that's rebuilding. And if I'm going to go anywhere, I want to go somewhere to try win a comp. Uh, met with Trent Robinson and Craig Fitzgibbon. Um, sort of agreed to terms with the Roosters. I went went to the Tigers, asked for a release, and Justin Pascoe said no. He said, I'm not releasing you. I said, mate, how can you not release me? He said, the coach doesn't want me here. He said, no. Nah. He said, mate, we're going to honour your contract. We want you here for life. I want you here post-career. We're going to give you an ambassador role, blah, blah, blah. We'll, we'll mend it. Tried to mend it. Um, the next year, sort of, you know, things were on the surface. They were okay. Um, and then as the year, again, went on it deteriorated again and then he um dropped me to reserve grade i think three short three games short of my 250th at the club yep um and that yeah that was it so and then I, i'd signed for Souths. um got got my payout which i still just blows my mind how much they paid me to leave um only to sack him three weeks into the new season so you think you you try to figure that one out there's one of the real pitfalls of being a professional athlete and wanting to do the right thing by the club. You couldn't come out publicly and tell the truth. You had to, I'm not going to say lie, but you had to smooth everything over in a public domain, even though what you were saying may have been detrimental to, to yourself. You, you can't come out and go renegade and say, the bloke's a prick, we don't get on, and it's either him or me. 100%. Um, and the, the worst part about that time was, you know, all the lies and stuff that get written mm. about you in the in the papers and it, and it affects your family. Like, I, I remember my, my sister calling me crying, like, why are they writing this stuff? And, you know, my, my dad and um, you know, my nieces and nephews and everyone, and there's just you know, all this stuff being made up about you and... And you can't, you, you can't come out um, and say, because if I'd said one thing out of line, it's grounds for for sacking, you know, yeah. and that's sort of what they were, were looking for at the time because it would have saved them a fortune. This episode is brought to you by our wonderful sponsors, Galaxy Finance. Sponsors and personal friends that I trust, that I trust enough to go to with questions about my own finances. That's not a sales pitch, that's fact. Any questions, any queries, they have the solutions from home loan lending to complete financial planning. With official interest rates at an all-time low, the lenders want your business. With Galaxy Finance, they'll do all the work for you and find the best possible deal. They'll do it all. Get in contact, ask for Leanne and mention Unfiltered for a free chat. A free chat. No obligations, a free chat just by mentioning Unfiltered. Galaxyfinance.com.au is where you can find them. So, yeah, it, look, it, it was very hard, mate, very, very hard um, to sort of um, 
you know, not come out and, and say the things um, you wanted to say. Um, yeah, and then and then as I said, then yeah, I moved. You move on um, because it just wasn't going to work. And then the board sort of backed him, and everyone sort of like at the club. And um, I, 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 I was sitting back on, am I a criminal? Like, well, have I done something like like wrong, like completely wrong? Yeah. And and I'd I'd done nothing wrong to him. I guarantee you, I'd done absolutely nothing wrong to him. There were there were other players at that club that were more filled with him. And I said, boys, shut your shut your mouths. Yeah. He's a coach. Get on with the job. But for some reason, he just he just you know, pointed the finger at me for everything. And whether he was intimidated by me or um, because I'd been at the club for so long and he didn't like that and he wanted, you know, I, I, I honestly still don't know to this day. And then the day he got sacked, um, I remember I was at Souths. We were in a video meeting um, and my phone was just buzzing in my pocket. Got out of the meeting, my phone had blown up, going, oh, mate, you must be so happy. He's gone, blah, blah, blah. And... I felt sick in my stomach. I actually felt sick in my stomach thinking, why did I go through everything that I had to go through for the club to then turn around and sack him three weeks into the new season? Like, what, like why? Like, you know, why would you put me through that to sack him? If you were going to back him, they should have they, they should have backed him to the death. But they backed him and then six months later they sacked him. And it was it was crazy. I felt actually felt sick in my stomach. Your final game at Leichhardt, during this period, we actually shared much of your celebratory lap in, I've got to say, one of my favourite interviews ever. But the scoreboard moment, what a moment. Very, very cool. Yeah, and it was um, it was very spontaneous. What, what happened, the, the, the um, fans had stayed back after the game and I was signing autographs on the field. Yep. And um, Big Baz, Big Baz runs a scoreboard at Leichhardt Oval, mate, since I was a, a little kid, you know. Um, uh, and he'd written a message up on the scoreboard. I didn't even notice it, obviously, during the game and stuff, but it said, you know, Faz um, 247, which was the amount of games I'd finished on, 247, yep. uh, YNWA, which was You'll Never Walk Alone, uh, Tiger's Legend or something. He'd said, he'd put it up on the scoreboard, and I'd finish, and then he'd, he, as he was leaving, I was signing autographs, and he'd come down, tap me on the shoulder. He goes, hey, mate, he goes, he goes look up the scoreboard, the message of the thing, and I said, oh, that's all that's like pretty cool, you know. So as I'd finished, um, the e-group security guard was still with me. I said, mate, can you walk me over to the scoreboard? I just want to get a photo in front of um, the sign that Baz has made for me. So I literally stood on the grass in front of the scoreboard and uh, Abdul from e-group security, he's taken photos of me just standing on the grass. And then I don't know who it was. They said, mate, the door's open. You can actually get up there if you want. So I was like, oh, okay. So I've gone around the back of the scoreboard, climbed up there, climbed out onto the ledge just to get a photo. I've still got all the photos on my phone um, that, that Abdul took for me. It was about 100 photos. He was just clicking away. And then a punter's just thrown a beer up to me. And I'm just sitting there and I thought, it's actually pretty cool. Yeah. You know, and the sun, was, the sun was setting behind the grandstand at Leichhardt Oval um, and I was just having a beer and I sat up there and, the crowd had dispersed. There was no one in the stadium. My, some of my family was up there and a few of my friends. So a couple of them came up and joined me up on the on the scoreboard and I ended up having about a dozen, a uh, couple beers and and about 10 ciders or apple ciders because the drinks were in the fridge downstairs the in the canteen under the scoreboard, yeah. which were open. So, so I'd sunk about a dozen drinks and I just sat up there for a couple of hours, mate, and just... Look back on all the great times I had there. As I said, I grew up 
playing grand finals there and as a kid and mate went through all the highs and lows um the day my mum passed away i remember the minute silence they did at like hard oval um you could hear a pin drop you know the games we'd won the games we'd lost like it was just a, a ton of memories mate i just sat up there for a couple of hours had a drink and reflected on it and everyone looks at that photo and says oh and some people look at it and say oh it's such a it's such a lonely like i just been sacked by the club and mm. I'm sitting up there by myself. But I look at that photo and for me, it actually makes me smile because um, that two hours of my life up there was just just a real sort of just a surreal moment. I just I was just in my own thoughts, looking back on my career and sort of where I'd come from and what I'd achieved at the club. And um, it was just, for me, it was just a beautiful moment and, yeah, grateful that, um, it got pictured, uh, you know, it got captured um, by by an awesome pick. It's a tiger tale, this one. Out of respect, I'll mention Souths. It is part of the journey, but somehow the rugby league universe worked for you in a most amazing set of circumstances. After a couple of seasons with the Rabbitohs, you end up back at the West Tigers, back home. Did that feel right? Did it feel full circle? Yeah, it did. You know. Um... And I almost, I always dreamt about it after after Taylor got sacked. You know, you start to allow yourself to yep. sort of dream, like, oh, can I go back? Um, and Ivan Cleary came in as a coach. Um, I played every game for Souths in 2017. Mm-hmm. Wasn't playing my best footy, but you know, I, I felt like a yeah. The club were unbelievable in welcoming me, and but I was still Robbie from the Tigers. Yep. Even the fans in Redfern, punters, hey, that's Robbie from the Tigers. You know, I was always that that guy from the Tigers and, um, you know, I always dreamt about going back. Um, then, then Seabold, Seabold came in as South coach in, in, um, in 18 and he was real honest with me from day one. He said, mate, I want to play one hooker this year. Cookie's going to get first crack. He said, but I don't see you as a reserve grader. I'm not going to make you play reserve grade every week. Uh, he said, and if another opportunity comes up, I'll let you go. And then halfway through the year, mate, I was, I was playing a bit of reserve grade and I was just hating life. I was, Mate, we'll get, we're in a pretty poor reserve grade side at the Bears, you know, getting beat by 30, 40 points at times. And I thought, what am I doing? I was playing Origin 18 months ago, happening in my club, and now I'm running around playing park footy. And I, want, I wanted to retire. I was done. I remember we played Blacktown at North Sydney Oval, and I was just watching the clock, just couldn't wait for the game to be, be over. Walked off the field, and my girlfriend at the time, um, she, she said, oh, you're done, aren't you? I said, mate, I said, I'm done. I can't do this crap anymore. Rang my manager the next morning and I said, mate, I've got to come see you. And he talked me out of it. He said, no, don't retire. He said, look, chances are Cookie's going to get picked in reserve in, in um, state of origin in a couple of weeks. He said, if he does, you'll get a couple of games in first grade. See how you feel when you get a crack. See if you're mm-hmm. still good enough. Um, you know, and then if you want to retire after that, you can retire. So Cookie got picked. Um, I got a, I got two NRL games and came back and it's like I hadn't missed a beat, you know. I, I, because as an athlete, and the older you get, and then you find yourself in reserve grade and all those things, self doubt starts to creep in, and you start to, to question yourself and second, am I good enough? Am I too old? You know, should I should I retire? What am I, like, you know, all those little voices in your head start yep. to enter in there, and the fact that I got those two NRL games, it just it re- confirmed to myself, oh, no, well, I am still good enough. I've still got it. You know, I still need a chance. I just need a chance. 
and then played those games. And then one night I was at home, got a message from Benji Marshall, who apparently we hate each other. <laughs> um, but Benj, Benj was back at the club, you know, because Benj had left, yep. gone to rugby, gone to the Dragons, gone to the Broncos. He'd found himself back at the club. Tigers weren't doing so well and they'd never really found a hooker uh, to replace me after I'd left. Um, and he just texted me and said, mate, we need a hooker. Would you come back? And I still remember I just wrote back. I, I wrote three words. I said, in a heartbeat. And um, he said, he said, mate, you should call. He said, you should call Ivan. I said, no. I said, I said, you speak to Ivan. I said, if he's if he's keen, I said, I'll call him. I said, but I'm not going to call him if it's a flat no. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to embarrass myself. Yep. So the next morning, Ben just texted me. He said, I spoke to Ivan. Yeah, he's keen. Um, so then I rang Ivan, um, met with him. He uh, obviously had to clear it with with everyone at the Tigers. Um, and, yeah, within a week, I found myself back home. Here's one for the fairy tale finish lovers. You'd fracture your leg in round 21 of your last year. You were done, retired, surely. In the final game of the season, though, there was an injury to Corey Thompson in warm-up. In a panic, desperate, you got the call up. Seriously, who writes this? Amazing. Crazy. Um, crazy finish. Pretty much a bit like my career, to be honest. Um but yeah, broke my leg. Um, was told I'd be out for twelve weeks. Yep. Um, and I just said, I was, they said you're no chance. I said, well, I'm not going to die wondering. Yeah. Um, I'll do everything I can to, to get back in four weeks. Um, I remember staying up. The Ashes was on around that time, which was good for me because I was up, you know, till like three, four in the morning, icing my leg uh, every night, watching the cricket, just just icing, trying to get back in time, doing everything I could. Um, had a scan the week before, was still broken, but I wanted to play. So I want to play. Uh, we needed to win to make the semifinals. Yep. Um, so Madge and that said, oh, well, let's give it the whole week. We'll see if you can run on captain's run. I said, no. Nah. I said, I don't want to be a distraction for the team. I said, if I can't run on Monday, I'll rule myself out. So on the Monday, the boys had recovery because they'd played on the Sunday, but then I went down to the park with um, our physio and he said, oh, we'll do a little bit of light running, mate. From light running turned into a full-blown session. I was changing angles. I was getting off the ground. Physio couldn't believe it. He said, mate, he said, that's the craziest thing I've ever seen. And I don't know if it, I look back now, it's, it's funny the power of the mind because in my head, like I was so hell-bent on playing that week yep. that the power of the mind just I'd convinced myself that my leg wasn't broken. Went out and trained for those. Like, the next day I trained with the team. No one could believe it. And But then Madge said, pulled me up he said he said mate I know you want to play he said but it's just too big a game too big a risk you know your leg's still broken if you get hurt after five minutes we're fucked mm. um, he said look, he said trust the boys to get the job done this week give yourself another week we'll have a semi-final to play next week I was like all right well that was hard to take because um, there might not have been a next week if we'd lost my career was over and there was no semi-final to play. But it was but a also, logical approach, wasn't it? It was a logical approach. I, I also understood mm. where it was coming from. So um, so the team knew, everyone knew that I wasn't playing except the media. We, we wanted to string the media along. You know, is he playing? Isn't he playing? We wanted it to be a bit of a distraction for the Sharks. I was never playing. Um, my brother had flown down from Brisbane to be there because it was potentially going to be – it was, it was going to be my last game at Leichhardt. Yep. 
um, regardless. Potentially my last game in the NRL. So he was over my house the night before. We had a couple of glasses of scotch together, uh, had some dinner, stayed up watching cricket again till 3 a.m., got to bed. I thought, you know, I'll wake up the next day and I wanted to make sure I enjoyed Leichhardt Oval because there are a lot of fans there that had ridden that wave through, you know, through my career and mm. supported me. And, and they'd, yeah. they'd seen me grow up from an 18-year-old kid to to where I'd gotten to. And, um, yeah, they were there to say their you know, farewells to me. So, you know, I got I got the Leichhardt early and I really soaked up the atmosphere, mingled with a lot of the fans that said, want to say goodbye and give me hugs and a lot of them were crying. And, um, and but and sorry, the day before, Madge said to me, he goes, I'll oh, just bring your boots in case. He left me in the 19-man squad just to keep Cronulla guessing. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been even in the squad. Um, so so got to the game and, as you said, um, Tubbs has gone down in warm-up. And Craig Sandercock, our assistant coach, he goes, mate, he goes, just whispered under his breath. He goes, get inside now. He goes, go he goes, go get dressed. I was like, what? I thought he was actually jamming up. I thought he was taking the piss. He said, mate, Tubbsy's hurt his calf. He goes, get inside now. So I've jogged inside and I see uh, Corey Thompson's in there with the physio on the dock getting looked at. And the physio says, mate, he goes, I don't think he's going to play. He goes, go get ready. And I was like, so, mate, I had steam kind of, I was like, what's going on? I couldn't believe it. Moses Senbai's in there with me. He's like, mate, this is this is meant to be. Mate, this is the best ever. You're going to win us the game. I was like, Moses, shut the fuck up. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I'm fucking, my emotions are up here. I said, I need to bring him down here and get my mind around playing. I said, just, I need to calm down. Just fucking. So, mate, put the boots on. I've got strapped up and words started to filter through the stadium. And my family were in the crowd. They had no idea. And, and they started getting text messages going, mate, he's playing, he's playing. They're like, no, he's not. Like he's fucking playing, so they've all turned on the Foxtel app on their um on their phone, and they're all watching me get dressed in the sheds, and um and then mate, next second I was you know in the team, and even the boys, the boys thought that the the players I'd spoken to we were only talking about it just recently, Alex Tyler and that because I was dressed and I joined the team huddle and I ran the boys out. They thought I was running just running them out. The club was just giving me that sort of um, the farewell. farewell to run the team out and then run off. They didn't actually realise I was actually playing. And John Morris, um, who was a coach for the Sharks, he said the same. He thought when he saw me run out, he thought that the Tigers just let me run the boys out and then and then I was running off. But, um, but yeah, I was sat on the bench. Um, I wish the one the one regret in hindsight, I wish Magic actually started me because the emotion of me starting the game and even myself – I think might have lifted us. Mm. You know, yeah. we were flat. We were flat um, that day. The occasion got the better of us. You know, 10, 15 minutes after halftime, we were down 26-6, I think it was. The game was gone. I got onto the field with about 20, 25 minutes to go. Um, the game was already over um, and it ended up being my last game. We obviously didn't make the semis, but I'd wish in hindsight that I'd started the game and maybe I could have influenced the game a bit more. Maybe it might have lifted the boys a bit more and we could have won that game. Never never going to know. Um, but to get that one last game at Leichhardt, under those circumstances, um, I think all, every, everyone will always remember my last game. I know I always will. The entire Leichhardt Oval got what they wanted that day, as did you. It's funny. I got interviewed after the game. They're like, they're like, what about, you know, how do you explain what happened today? I said, mate, I said, it's just, it was like a movie. It was like a movie, yeah. I said, but just with a shit ending. Yeah. And it, just, it was, mate. It was, it was just a... You know, it was scripted. I, I felt like it was just scripted for me to go out there 
help us win the game, qualify for this. I wouldn't have played the semi the week later. My, my knee was my knee was gone. My leg was gone. Um, you know, there was no way I could have backed up the week later. But if we'd won and I'd helped us make the semis, it would have just been like this fairy tale script. But yeah, it was just a shit ending. It was just it just wasn't meant to be. I get the feeling we could talk for hours. We've skipped over so much and so many milestones and memories. A career that spans 17 seasons, 303 first grade games, a host of representative matches, two-time Dally M Hooker of the Year, two-time Dally M Runner-Up as well. In my opinion, the greatest West Tiger ever and a bloke I'm proud to call a mate. Robbie Farrer, you, sir, are a legend. Thanks, Andy, mate. Pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for chatting to me today, mate, and um, and being there. I remember some of the good times we had along the way, and some of those interviews after the game. And I remember that Leichhardt interview you spoke about the, on the lap of honour. So, um, mate, really appreciate you being there as a mate for me too. We hope you're enjoying this edition of Andy Raymond Unfiltered. The Legend series drops at the start of your working week. It's in depth, personal, and highlights some of the game's finest from yesteryear. The Weekly Wodge drops in time for your weekend. It's full on and the hottest podcast on the market. Why listen to opinions when you can listen to interviews with the stars? And on every episode, you can hear up to a dozen different players and coaches, both past and present, giving their thoughts on the great game. It's fast-paced, full of footy and laughs. It's a must-listen. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening. That way, you won't miss a thing. Every episode will drop immediately. Before you go, we'd love a five-star rating and review. It's not for ego, it's for business, as we look to expand the unfiltered brand and bring you more. Make sure you come back soon. Legends. Legends.